And we're in week two of our series uh, entitled The Waiting Game. And as Jared already alluded to, most of us in society, we don't like to wait for anything. Man, we don't like to wait in line. We don't like to wait in doctor's offices. We talked about all that stuff last week. And if you missed last week's message, I encourage you, you can go onto our website. You can go onto our YouTube page and you can watch last week's message. It's still up today on our app. And of course, that'll change tomorrow. We'll upload the new one. But uh, last week, we talked about this idea that the, one of the reasons that we struggle in waiting is because we all have appetites and our appetites scream now, not later. And so uh, that, that's part of the struggle, right? And so today, what we're going to talk about is what do we do until God does? So when you're waiting on God to speak, when you're waiting on God to move in your life, what do you do? What do we do until God does whatever it is that he's going to do? So I hope this will be helpful for you today. Again, we're going to be in Genesis 37. I'm going to pray and then we're going to start. God, uh, I want to say how much I love you and God, how thankful I am uh, for the baptisms again this morning and God, the reality that you're changing lives. God, I want to say how thankful I am for my church family. God, um, everyone in here, uh, God is, is here because you love them. And God, one of the things that I love about our church is how they demonstrate love towards one another. Uh, people here are just so encouraging. Uh, God, we get to do life together, enjoy life together, experience uh, all the joys that come with life together. And God, then we also get to share in one another's struggles and encourage one another as we go through seasons of waiting. So Lord, as we, as we read your word today, God, I pray that you would teach us through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, would we, uh, would we be, I pray that we would be changed. We would leave here different than we came in. And God, that that difference in us would be noticeable to everyone that we encounter. God, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm sure most of you have had a conversation that started a little something like this. Um, uh, you know, somebody asked, hey, how is life going? You know, you, how's, how's things going? Well, and a lot of us, we live in this world today where our answer, kind of our, our reflex answer is this. Uh, it's good. It's just really busy. Anybody living in a busy season of life where you're just going, man, it's busy. And, and what is the thing that we often say when we're in this place? One of the things that we say is there's just not enough hours in the day, right? Like if we could just figure out how to add a few more hours into that, that life would just work out so much better, or at least so we think. So I want to share with you really quick some research that I came across this year or this week. Um, so let me ask you this. Let me start with this and then I'll share the research. What would you do? What would you do with an extra 624 hours a year? What would you do with that sleep? Man, sign me up. I, yes, I am I'm, I'm running on fumes. We had a really busy weekend. By the way, if uh, the, the gray, uh, I, wanna, I know they're not here. They're probably cleaning up and wrapping up from the wedding weekend, but the, the gray, uh, Taylor Gray and, and Judson George wedding was just a beautiful Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting wedding. And so I'm thankful that they're married and hope that they have a, a really great time uh, celebrating their marriage and, and having a little vacation time before they get back to life. But so what would you do with an extra 624 hours in a year? You could probably think of a lot of things that you could do with that. But here's what research has shown us. According to a recent study, that's how much time the average person wastes a year. That's how much time me and you, on average, that's how much time we waste every single year. 624 hours. It's crazy, right? I mean, we go, well, how in the world are we wasting 624 hours? How is the average person wa wasting 624 hours a year? Well, here's what the study found. The top three areas where time is wasted is, is being stuck on hold. Nobody likes to make a phone call and get the answering machine, right? You're waiting. Hey, you're the 693rd person in line. 
uh, you're <laughs> one of the things that I love that they've recently done is a lot of these companies now have this thing where you can push a button or put, you know, hit, hit a number and, and they'll, you can get in an automatic callback. That's fantastic because I love that better than the elevator music. The other, th the other two areas where it says that um, people waste the most time is waiting in line. Of course, none of us like to wait in line. And then uh, lastly is um, sitting in traffic, which is what my wife and I did yesterday. Uh, yesterday morning before we did the, the wedding last night, we drove down to Florida to visit her brother who's been sick for some time. And, and we, got, uh, we got stuck in traffic on our way down on I-75 South and there was a bad accident. And of course, no one likes, we always get frustrated, at least I do, when I'm sitting in traffic and we're not moving. Like there's, there's three or four lanes of people, right, of cars and none of them are moving. And then if you're like me, you get really frustrated when you hop in one line because the other line's moving faster and you get in that line and then the other ones start moving faster. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I legitimately, when I get in those, I pick out a car that's beside me and I go, okay, we're going to see who's going to win this race. I do it. I don't know if you guys do that, but I do. I'll pick out a car and I go, okay, I'm going to see who gets to the end and gets out of here quicker. And I usually lose. So uh, anyway, um, so that's the top three areas where we waste the most time. Uh, a few of the other time draining act activities include scrolling through social media. Anybody? Have you ever, like we've done this, right? Every one of us, you get a note of your, your phone is just sitting there. You're not paying any attention to it. Then it lights up and you go, oh, there's a notification. Like a moth to a flame, we pick it up. And then what do we do? I don't know if you've ever done this. Like sometimes I legitimately pick my phone up because like I need to text somebody real quick. But then when I open it, there's a notification that somebody said something to you on a social media platform and you open it up. And the next thing you know, 20 minutes goes by and you're like, what am I doing? I don't even know why I picked my phone up. So we do. That's one of the other areas where we waste a lot of time is just scrolling through social media. One of the things that I have tried to learn to do is when I'm in my office, put my phone face down. So when that little light lights up that I don't grab my phone, it's like it's got me trained like I'm Pavlov's dog, you know. And then it, it, some of the other areas are flipping through TV channels. Um, I, I don't I don't really do that a whole lot, but maybe some of you do. Maybe you spend a lot of time just kind of surfing through the channels, trying to see what's on and just to find out that you're paying for a cable bill that there's nothing on that you want to watch. Or um, the other one is waiting on food to be delivered. Now, that number would be higher. And I'm sure that the reason that 624 hours a year is wasted based on waiting for food to be delivered, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure our area probably keeps the high end of that, probably boosts those numbers up a little bit. Because if you've ever had to wait in line for food in Fitzgerald, you know that you're not going to go anywhere for quite a long time. I mean, you're just going to wait a while, right? And so those are the things that they say um, where we waste the most Time. So what makes this also crazy is that the same research says that 56% of people said they'd like to become more productive with their time in general. And the, but life is so hectic. Their, their, their point is, is that I would love to be more productive. This is 56% of people. I'd love to be more productive, but life is just so hectic and we're too tired to just make it happen. We run so hard. And so my enemy to my productivity is my overproduction, I guess. That said, people estimated that they get bored or have nothing to do an average of three times a day. Where do you fall in that category? Do, do you find yourself bored with feeling like you don't have anything to do, feeling like, hey, you know, I got to kill some time here. I just, I'm going to grab my phone. I don't know. I'm waiting for the next thing. That's what we're doing. We're always, it's like we're waiting for the next thing. So while we're waiting for the next thing, let's just kill some time. So if we had more time on our hands, here's the question. Since we, we don't like to wait, if we had more time on our hands, 
Would we just be even more bored than we already are? Instead of being productive, would we just sit around waiting on the next thing to happen? In this sense, waiting can feel like wasting, can it? I mean, when we think about the idea that we're not being productive in the moments that we're waiting, when we're waiting on food or when we're waiting on, you know, we're waiting in traffic, what, we, what aggravates us and irritates us the most is that when, while we're waiting, we don't feel like we're producing anything. It's like if you're sitting in traffic and you're not moving, you're aggravated because you're not moving in a direction. You're not arriving at the goal uh, destination in the uh, allotted time that you had for it. So is in these moments that we're, we feel like we're not being productive, this sense of waiting can feel like wasting, wasting time, wasting resources, and just wasting away. Then what some people do is they take their feelings about waiting in general, and what we do then is, and, and particularly with wasting time, we apply that to, misappropriately apply that, apply that to our relationship with God. That if, if waiting equates wasting, then we go, I'm not gonna be patient and I'm not gonna wait on God in this season of waiting that he has put me in. And I don't want to because I'm just productive, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, driven towards production. And so if something's not happening good in my life to move me towards the goal or move me towards the target, then this feels like wasting time. And, and this is how we feel. We apply this, mis, uh, we misappropriately apply this to God. And when we reflect on the teaching of God though and his word, here's what God's word says. And we, we looked at this verse last week. Isaiah 40, verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And it may not feel like you're renewing your strength while you're waiting, but this is a promise that God gives to the prophet Isaiah. And he says, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall not run or they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not be faint. So it would appear in God's economy and the way God describes it to us and through God's word, it would appear that waiting on God isn't wasting. Instead, it's, it's expecting. That while we're waiting on God, we're not waiting and wasting time, that we're waiting on God because we're expecting something to happen. What are we expecting when we sit patiently and wait on God? What we are expecting is we're expecting to see God at work. We are expecting to see God's will be done. We are expecting to see God's word be proven true. We are expecting to see his plan unfold. So we have to begin in our own life as followers of Jesus to begin to reshape how we think about waiting on God. Waiting on God's not wait, wasting time. Waiting on God is expecting. And can you wait in a, in a season of waiting and can you wait in a way that you expect? Because if we can begin to wait in a way that we expect God to work and we expect God to show up, and we expect him to do it in his time, and it's going to be his will and his plan, that if we can do that, it begins to shape the way we wait. It's almost like Christmas. I remember one time I was a little boy. I was, I was in elementary school, and I wanted a guitar so bad. I just, like, hey, if I could have a guitar for Christmas, that would be phenomenal. And I remember my mom went, and she bought me a guitar, and then she wrapped it, and it was in the guitar case. But when she, the guitar case is in the shape of a what? a guitar. So when she wrapped it, I saw that thing underneath the Christmas tree and I knew what it was. And so I, you know, as I waited, I waited with expectation. Like there was this, there was an excitement there. Like it wasn't like this stinks. I'm just, I hate waiting for Christmas. Like, no, I, I know that there's going to come a day that that thing is going to be delivered, that that thing that I asked for and hoped for, it's there. 
And there's going to come a day that I'm going to open it and I'm going to experience the joy of it. Can we wait patiently on God with expectation, expecting that God is going to do what he promised he would do? And as we're waiting, we can wait expectantly because we know that God is faithful and true. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to see this through the life of Joseph here in just a minute. But here's what we need to understand, that just because we're waiting, just because we're waiting does not automatically imply that we are waiting on God. We need to know that there is a way to wait that is a waste. If we are passively waiting, then we are wasting. Passive waiting is when we sit and do absolutely nothing. That God has made a promise, that God has, we've read God's word, we know that God said he would do some things. But if you have, if you have an addiction, let me give you an example. So if you have an addiction that you're trying to kick, because you go, you know what, I want to honor God in my life, and I don't know that my addictions are going to help me to honor God in my life, and so I've got this addiction that I want to try and kick, and, and we know that we shouldn't be involved in whatever that thing is. If we just sit by and go, you know what, I'm just, if, if, if I ask you, hey, how's it going, and you go, hey, I'm just waiting on God to deliver me while you're still indulging, then you're, you're wasting. That, that kind of waiting is not proactive. It is passive. If you have children that are struggling and your heart's desire as a parent is to see them grow up, to love the Lord, to know the Lord, to see them baptized in the baptistry up there, to see their life be spent fulfilling God's plan for them. If that's your desire, but you're in a place right now where your children are, are headed in wrong directions and they're making bad choices. And when someone asks how you're helping, if your response is, I'm just waiting on God to step in, that's wasting. That's not waiting. If your marriage is not where you want it to be and you're waiting on God to step in and fix your marriage, but you're not doing anything to pursue God in your marriage, you're not proactively pushing to pursue God and, and praying for your spouse. If you're not doing any of those things, if you're just sitting there going, hey, you know, I, I'm, I want my marriage to be better. And so I'm just going to wait on God to fix it. If you're doing that, you're wasting there is a way to wait that's wrong. There is a way to wait that is wasting. So what do we do? Do we wait on the Lord? Or are we supposed to do something? That's a tension, isn't it? That's kind of where we live. We live in this tension of, okay, God, I'm willing to wait on you. I know what your scripture says, and I know about waiting, and those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And so, God, I'm willing to wait. But while I'm waiting, do I just do nothing? Do I sit by and wait on you to show up and supernaturally work? How, do, how does this work? This brings to the forefront this tension that we've all felt, right? I mean, and here's the tension, the tension between us trusting God's plan and then making my own plans. So I know God has a plan. So am I just supposed to sit back and go, well, I'm not going to create a plan. I'm not going to have a plan at all. I'm just going to wake up one day and let God tell me what he wants me to do. I remember one time there was, um, this was at a former church. I had a, a gentleman come in and he says, hey, I don't, he says, I don't like that you preach in these series. I said, oh, that's okay. That's a fair statement. Do you mind sharing why you don't like me preaching in series? Well, because I believe if you've got your sermons all planned out for the whole year, where do you leave room for the Holy Spirit to speak? And I'm like, you do know the Holy Spirit can speak months in advance, right? I mean, he doesn't. He's like, well, I just think you ought to just stand up there and open your Bible and wherever it opens, that's what you should preach from. And I was like, well, that doesn't really work out well for you. It doesn't work out well for me. And I'm not really sure that that's honoring to God. I mean, I know God could and has before changed something that I was going to preach on on the morning of. But we should still have a plan. God, if you want to change my plan, 
That's great. I'm submissive. I'm willing to wait on whatever it is you have. But in the meantime, I want to have a plan. And most of us like being prepared. We like having our schedules planned out. We like knowing what we're going to do. We, we like having a plan in place so that we don't freak out about every activity that comes our way. But so where is that, where's that line at between God, I'm going to wait on your plan, but God, in the meantime, I'm going to have my own plans. How does that work? And how do we trust that? James chapter two, verse 18, listen to this. James would say this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So we see this picture of James. James is saying, hey, look, faith is going to be proven and shown through your works. So there's not like, I have faith, so I'm going to sit back and do nothing. Evidently, there's still something for us to do. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says, For this very reason I make every effort to supplement, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Peter, and he's going, look, here's some things that you need to supplement to your faith. In other words, yes, you have faith. Yes, you're willing to wait. Yes, you believe believe in God and trust God, but here are some things you need to be doing. So we see activity here. Proverbs 6, 6. Listen to what uh, the writer of Proverbs says. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. In other words, what he's saying, do you ever see ants just sitting around waiting? Ants are always working. Ants figure out a way how to get into your house. And you're like, how in the world did you get in here? Proverbs 20, verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So we see these evidences of, hey, you should be doing something. You should have a plan. You should be working. You should be moving. But then at the same time, we have these verses where it says, those who wait on the Lord. And we're like, well, which one is it, God? Do you want me to wait or do you want me to go? I mean, what, what are we supposed to do? So what are we supposed to do, wait or work? And the answer is yes. There are going to be seasons of waiting. There will be. And you already know this. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. But it's in those seasons of waiting the question we ask ourselves is, how do we wait effectively or how do we wait actively? There are so many people that we could have drawn from this sermon series. I could have drawn from Abraham. We could have talked about Abraham and his season of waiting. If you're from a Bible background, you know that Abraham waited a long time for his child of promise. We could have talked about, um, we could have talked about Job. Job went through extreme difficulties and had a a very long series of waiting for God to bring about his good plan for Job's life. We could have talked about Mary. Like, I mean, think about this here. We're getting ready. We're, I mean, Christmas season's upon us. I mean, Walmart's already got their Christmas section set up, so it must be Christmas. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was told that she would have the Son of God, and then she waits the nine months for the baby to be born. I mean, imagine that waiting. I'm about to give birth to God. It's incredible. Or we could have talked about one of the disciples. We could have talked about any of Jesus' disciples who had, imagine they're waiting from the time of the, the crucifixion and placed in a tomb, the waiting that they had to go, okay, is this thing really happening? Is there really a resurrection that's going to take place? And then, or the apostle Paul, his season of waiting when he was blinded on the road to Damascus, and then he had to wait a couple of days before he received his sight to go do what God called him to do. We could have talked about a lot of people, but we're going to talk about Joseph and we're going to look at his life as our example for God's seeming silence in the midst of, you know, our personal difficulty. And we're going to 
pull from other people at times to support it. So while you're waiting, here we go. While you're waiting, Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to shoot straight through these. Uh, Jacob uh, lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Jacob also, is, uh, his name was changed to Israel. So these, this is this, the generations of Jacob or Israel. Joseph, which is who we're talking about, being 17 years old, was, passing, uh, or was pastoring uh, the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zippah. If you're looking for child names, these are good, okay? Um, his, father's, these, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a, a bad report uh, uh, of them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph. So his father loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Not great parenting style, but that's another story. Because he was, um, he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. So he gives him this beautiful robe. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So there's, there's sibling tension, verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he, told, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. I probably wouldn't have shared that dream, but he did. And it's kind of out there and now they hate him. But then it, it just gets a little worse. You're thinking, okay, Joseph is glutton for punishment because of his personality. But here's what the Bible says. Then he dreamed another dream in verse nine and told, told it to his brothers. And behold, he said, behold, um, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon, or the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he had told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to, to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So first thing that we need to do, oh, and I want to read, Flip over like two chapters real quick. Genesis 39.1. And I want to I read this and then I want to kind of give you the first thing of how we're supposed to wait well. All right. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now, here's what happened. So Joseph, at the age of 17, has a dream that... God has given to him that one day you are going to rule over. You're going to rule over your family. Now, again, probably shouldn't have shared that. Probably not the wisest thing to do, but he has the vision and God gave it to him. So when we're waiting and while we're waiting and, and ultimately what would happen, and this is kind of how we got to 39.1 here, Joseph was, uh, goes to his, his dad, asks him, go check on your brothers. They're out pasturing the flocks. And he says, hey, go check on them. Make sure they're okay. Well, when they see him coming, they throw him into a pit and, and they're going to kill him. They're like, we hate him so much. We're just gonna, let's just get rid of him. Let's kill him. And then we'll put blood all over his little pretty coat that dad gave him. And then, um, then we'll take the, the coat and we'll take it back to dad and say, a bear you know, an animal got him. He's, he's dead. While they're waiting, there's um, a group of Ishmaelites that show up. They're slave traders. And so one of Joseph's brothers says, hey, let's, let's just sell him. Let's sell him to these people. 
And uh, that way, you know, kind of we're off the hook. We're not really guilty of murder. And, but we'll still kind of play it out that way. And we'll take the coat back to dad and we'll show him. And so they sell him into slavery. So Joseph has this vision of here's what God wants for my life. This is what God has planned for me. But in the meantime, he is thrown into a pit by the people that he loved the most. He's thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery, never to be seen again. Could you imagine being thrown into a pit by your siblings then sold as a slave to these Ishmaelites, the whole way that as you're walking in chains bound by them, as you're walking and being led away from the land that you know and the family that you love, you're wondering if anybody's gonna come running, but you know kind of in the back of your head, that's probably not gonna happen. My dad's not gonna find out. He's gonna believe that I'm dead, maybe. I don't even think that Joseph knows this plan at this point. Maybe he does. But my dad's not gonna come. And so the waiting and the waiting and the waiting. Now he's a slave and he's a slave at this man named Potiphar's house. Now here's an interesting thing. So here's what we want to do. How do we wait well? Number one, trust his plan. Trust his plan. Even in the midst of the, and in the face of the most difficult opposition that you're going to face, trust his plan plan. Let's say that together. Trust his plan. Let's say that one more time. Trust his plan. There's going to come a time in your life when nothing's going to make sense. Things are not going to line up. I had a conversation sitting at a dinner table last night with a man uh, after the wedding was over. We're sitting around a table and his dad's a pastor. His dad was a pastor at the same church for 48 years. And when he retired, he, he finally retires and had a huge influence at the church he pastored in Kentucky. And so he's, this guy's telling me this story and, and you could sense that inside of him there is this, there's this bitterness because his dad, as soon as re, he retires, like bad things start happening. Health starts failing. His, the health of his mom starts failing. There's all these, there's all these things. And you could, you could almost feel the anger inside of the guy telling me this story. You could almost feel the anger. Like, I, I just don't understand. Why would God do this to someone who is so faithful? Why would God do this to someone who spent his life investing in people? Why would God do this? You could, you could feel it. You could sense it. But in the face of the most difficult opposition and the most difficult trial that you're going to go through in life, and you're going to go through some, I wish it wasn't that way, but because of the fall and because of sin, we are going to face hard times. You have to trust his plan. And this will be challenging. And the reason, one of the reasons it's going to be challenging is you're going to be ridiculed by some of the people who are closest to you. Joseph's brothers hated him for God's plan for his life. Even his own father rebuked him when he said, hey, let me tell you what God's going to do. And you, you may have faced that in your life before. For your faith, your family doesn't understand why you, why do you, like, hey, let's go, let's go out of town for the weekend. There, there are families in our church that are going, okay, yeah, we can go out of town Friday and Saturday, but we're coming back. Why? Because we got to be in church. Well, why do you want to be in church on Sunday? Because we love our church. There are people that for your faith, even in your own family and those close to you, they are not going to understand why in the midst of your deepest, darkest days and in the midst of the pits that you find yourself in, they're not going to understand how you can sit back and be calm and wait on God. You need to do something. When people wrong you, and you go, no, I'm not going to retaliate. People that are closest to you go, no, you ought to say something. No, you ought to do something. Why? Because they don't understand you waiting on God. And Joseph's, Joseph's own family 
didn't understand this. And you will be ridiculed by some of the people who are the closest to you. And it will sting and it will hurt, but you still need to trust his plan. Even Jesus was betrayed by someone he handpicked who followed him for three, just over three years and betrayed him with a kiss. That's how close he was to Jesus. And here's the interesting thing. You really have to trust his plan. Uh, the Ishmaelites, so it says in verse chapter 39, verse 1, it says that, that they had bought him from Ishmaelite slave traders. Well, who were Ishmaelites? Ishmaelites came from the tribe of Ishmael. Ishmael was, get this now, Ishmael was a descendant. He was a, a grandfather, if you will, to Joseph. Ishmael was the product of Abraham not waiting on God's timing and, giving, and, and going into his wife's servant and having a um, sexual relation with her, producing a child whose name would become Ishmael. And so now, years later, watch this, because he was not waiting on God's timing, Joseph is now sold into slavery to the group of people that is a product of somebody not waiting patiently on God. And that's, that's where Joseph, Joseph is just going to have to trust God's plan, and that's what he does, and we're going to see some of this unfold. Let me say this, God can even use, and this is how beautiful God is, this is how amazing God is. Even when we think people are messing up God's plan, you can't mess up God's plan. God can even take the, the impatience of one man named Abraham and produce a way, we're gonna see this, the Ishmaelites, they're sold, he sold to the Ishmaelites as slaves, but it's through this that he ends up in a place where God gave him the vision and the promise. It's beautiful, it's an incredible story. Chapter 39, verses two through four is where we're picking up. Listen to this. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man as he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So while you're waiting, how do we wait well? Second thing, pursue his presence. Pursue his presence. So how, how do we pursue him? Number one, we pursue him through prayer. When, when you're waiting, uh, and we're all good at this. Like when we're in a season of waiting and things get a little painful, we tend to pray. But some of us quit praying too soon and then we jump out into action and we get out ahead of God. So when you're in your season of waiting, pursue his presence. And we do that through prayer. Another way we do that is we do that through the word. We gather ourselves around the word of God. God, what are your promises to me? Remind yourself of the promises to God. Just like I knew that that guitar was a guitar and I knew that one day that I was gonna receive that because Christmas was coming soon and I already knew that the gift was there. In the same way, we have to know his promises so that we can wait through his word and we can wait well. God, I know what your word has said and I know that the word says that you are not a man that you should lie. So if you said it, it's gonna happen and I'm gonna patiently wait for it. And the third way that we wait well and pursue his presence is through worship. The highlight of my week, and I, listen, I love football more than most, I think. By the way, my team plays today at noon. If you guys want to join in, orange and blue, you can get a little chomp action going. Probably not going to happen. That's okay. I love football and sports and athletics. I, I just love it. I think what I love about it most is just being around other people who enjoy it. Just the, you know, the, you don't high five. I don't sit in my room and high five myself, you know, when the Gators score. Um, there's usually people around. Um, but there's nothing I love more 
than Sunday morning and worshiping with you all. And I love seeing other people worship. It moves my heart when I see people just pouring their heart out before God. And everybody does it in a different way. Some, some of you are hands raised. Some of you are hands down. Some of you um, have big smiles on your face. Some of you not. But I know that you're worshiping and I, I see that. And I love to see people who know they're in the presence of a holy God and worshiping him. And when we worship, have you ever noticed when you're in those moments of worship where you've got the smile on your face, if it's not in your face, it's at least on your heart, you're worshiping God. Have you ever noticed how your problems seem to diminish in the presence of God? If you're truly worshiping in that moment, you may be going through a hard time, but you're, you're not thinking about the hard time. You're thinking about how big your God is. And Joseph, what I love, it says that in, in, in these verses we just read in two through four, that the Lord was with him. And because the Lord was with him, well, how do we know the Lord? How did Potiphar know that the Lord was with Joseph? Well, evidently, Joseph had some time praying, reminding himself of the promises of God and worshiping his Savior. And because of that, Potiphar knew that the Lord was with Joseph. And because of that, he found favor in his sight. And he not, not found favor in his sight because, just because he did those things, but because he saw the evidence of the fruit of, of who God was to Joseph, that Joseph lived in such a way, he said, man, that guy right there, he's blessed. And I see what God's doing in his life. And I see how that everything he touches, God blesses. So guess what, Joseph? You may be my slave technically, but you're in charge of everything. You're in charge of everything. Because he pursued his presence. So while you're waiting, trust his plan, pursue his presence. Look in verses five and six. And it says this, from the time that he made him overseer in the house, from that time, he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. And then jump down to verses 22 and 23 of chapter 39. And it says, and the keeper. So now Joseph ends up in prison because Potiphar's wife makes a pass at, at Joseph and Joseph's like, no, um, I'm not going there. I'm still trusting God's plan. I'm not going to take things into my own hands. That's, that's another man's wife. That's not my property. And I'm going to honor, even though he is my master and I know God has bigger things for me, I'm going to honor him and I'm going to live my life in a way that honors God. And so because of that, she said, well, if, you, if, you, if you're not going to sleep with me, then I'm just going to tell him that you did anyway. And so Joseph now ends up in prison for doing the right thing. While he's in prison in verse 22, it says, and the keeper of the prison... The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Then flip over to chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. Um, it says, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh. So now he's in prison. He ends up meeting these two guys in prison who were having these dreams. And Joseph knows a little bit about dreams. So now Joseph uh, says, when Joseph came to them in the morning, so he sought them out. He saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are their faces downcast? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. You know what Joseph is about to do? He's about to interpret their dreams for them because they are from God. 
So third thing that you need to do while you're waiting is you need to serve others while you wait. Joseph did not sit in his problems and wait for God to come bail him out. Joseph didn't sit there and sulk and go, you know what? My family sold me into slavery. I, I, I did the right thing by not sleeping with Potiphar's wife. And then for doing that good thing, I got put in prison. And so, you know what? Forget it. I'm not helping anybody else. I'm not doing anything. No. What did Joseph do? He said, hey, let me serve you. Let me help you. Let me show you the way. He was serving God by serving people. He was serving God by serving people. It was through serving the people around him that, God, that God's greater purposes in Joseph's life would even have a chance to breathe. It was through serving other people that Joseph, he serves these two people. And he, again, he's gonna have to wait some more time after he serves them and interprets their dreams for him. He's gonna have to wait a couple more years in prison. But it was through that interpretation that one day, God would use that to open Pharaoh's eyes to the fact that there is, when Pharaoh has a vision, when Pharaoh has a dream, there's going to be a man who's going to go, you know what? There was a guy who interpreted my dream for me and he could probably interpret yours. And it puts Joseph into this amazing place of power. And it's the place that God gave him the vision for 22 years earlier. But now Joseph is going to be able to sit in a place of prominence because he waited patiently on the Lord. And while he was waiting, he was serving. What if the same holds true for us? What if the same holds true for us? What if God's purpose and plan for us can only truly be found by and through serving other people? And if so, if that's true, would the way that you are currently waiting would the way that you're currently serving other people lead you to the answers that you're so desperately seeking? How are we doing on that? While you're waiting, are you willing to serve? Are you willing to serve God at all? Because what we see through Joseph, and I could paint you this picture through a little boy named David who was a shepherd. We know that David de defeated Goliath, but do you know how and why David was even there to begin with? The reason that David was there to defeat Goliath in the first place was because his father just simply said, hey, he had already been prophesied and anointed to be the next king of Israel. But as a teenage boy, even as he had been anointed to be the next king of Israel, David's father said, hey, I need you to take some, I need you to take some bread and some fruit to your brother, some bread and some cheese to your brothers. I need you to take this to your brothers and just check on them. And because he was willing to serve the father, David ended up in a place where he defeats Goliath, which catapulted him to the place that God had already told him he would be. It's through, it's through serving other people that we will find our purpose in life. And so while you're waiting, are you willing to serve other people? Look in Genesis chapter 50. We're almost done. Chapter 50, uh, verses 15 through 21. And this is the very end of it, okay? This is the very end of Joseph's life. And then we're gonna backtrack for the last point. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so he's now dead. They said, uh, it may be that Joseph will hate us. So now Joseph has already achieved prominence. He's already achieved that place of high position. Pharaoh, appoint, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, put Joseph in the most powerful position in the world that you're ruling over all the land because I know that God's with you and you have power because of God's blessing and anointing on you. So he says, I want you in charge, not me in charge. I want you in charge. So Joseph is now in this place. His brothers came cowering back. And, and so now uh, Joseph has already forgiven them. And now they're in this place. Joseph's father is dead. They're, they're in Egypt with Joseph. A famine has hit the land. And it says it may be that Joseph 
um, will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. It's this beautiful image, right? Because this is what Joseph, the vision he had. Hey, here's the brothers. Guess what? You're bowing down before me, just like this, the, the, the uh, vision said you would. But look at Joseph's heart. He says, look, do not fear for I am in the place, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God what? Meant it for good to bring it about that people, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The fourth thing that we have to do while we're waiting is believe that God is good. Do you believe God's good or are you gonna be tempted to believe that God is not, that he is a mean, spiteful God who's sitting up in heaven trying to just discipline those who disobey him? Do you believe that God is good? Joseph was 17 years old when God gave him the vision and 22 years for 20, it took 22 years for Joseph to go from that vision to this place right here. And it was filled with nothing but hurt and pain and betrayal. What would empower someone to wait patiently 22 years for God to come through? I mean, we have a hard time waiting 22 minutes for our food or two days for our packages to arrive. Joseph believed that God was good and that his plan was perfect. And if we do not believe that God is good, we will, we will not wait well. If you don't believe that God is good, you're not gonna wait well. If we do not believe his plan is good, then we will be tempted to create our own. I don't always trust God like I should, but, and I've been guilty in the past of judging God's goodness and his plan through the lens of my wants. Like sometimes I just want things. Sometimes I, like all the time practically, we find ourselves really just finding, God, I just want my way. We find that tension. God, I want my way. This is how I want things done. This is how I want the plan to work out. This is how I want things to happen for me. And I don't always want what God wants. But do I trust that he's good? Because when, I got to be honest, as a pastor, sometimes God calls us to places that we don't want to go. When I got called, when I was in, High Springs, Florida, and got called to Groveland, Florida. Didn't want to go, but I went because I trusted God and I knew that he was good. And because of that, I'm here. That was a very hard season. That was a place I didn't want to go, but I knew God was calling me. So I said, God, I'll be faithful and I'll follow. And because of that, I ended up from Groveland, Florida or Orlando, Florida to Osceola, Georgia. If I wouldn't have been there, I would have never ended up here. God's plan is good and I have to believe that he's good. And we have to believe that he's good when we're going through our seasons of waiting. But if I don't believe that he's good, I'm not going to trust him. And I'm not going to trust his plan and neither will you. But if I believe that God is truly good and his plans for me are good, I will find myself with this overwhelming ability to wait. No matter how long the wait is. Romans 8.28 says this. This is Paul writing. He says, and we know that for those who love God, a couple of things will work out for you. says all things, doesn't it? 
that for those that love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Trust his plan. Believe that he's good. Lastly, uh, we're going to back up to verse chapter 41, and I want to read you a couple verses, and then we'll close. Um, chapter 41, verse 50. Chapter 41, verse 50. So this is, um, this is in this time that Joseph is rising to power in Pharaoh's house. He's out of prison. He's given the dream. Look at what Pharaoh says. The most powerful man in the world. Could you imagine? I mean, the president of the United States. You end up there because you were in prison. You interpret a dream for the president. And the president makes you ruler practically of the country. Watch what happens right here. Before the year the famine came, so he interpreted a dream that there was a famine coming. Two sons were born to Joseph. Two sons born to Joseph. Asenath, the, um, the daughter of uh, Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, watch this, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So the last thing that you need to be able to do while you're waiting, this is Joseph saying this while he's waiting. He still hasn't, as of this point, seen the fruition of the vision. Fifth thing you need to do, always give thanks. Always give thanks, even in the midst of your trials and your difficulty. Always give thanks to God. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice sometimes. Rejoice when things are going your way. Rejoice when you're getting your way. It's not what he says. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in your good circumstances. In all your circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love, I want to share with you two quotes. One's from John Piper. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Did you know that you can be satisfied in God even while you're waiting? Craig Rochelle said this. He said, it is not happy people who are grateful. It is grateful people who are happy. Sometimes we get that backwards. Like, I'll be thankful when God's good to me. No, God's good to you all the time. The fact that he did not just abandon us in our sin proves that God is good to us all the time. And sometimes our difficulties that he puts us through are for the benefit. Now think about this. Joseph ends up in the most powerful place on the planet because he waited well. Was it easy? No, but he trusted God. And Joseph ends up in a place where not only is Joseph prosperous, but more importantly, because of him, his family, his people, other people benefited and prospered because he trusted God. How about you? How about me? Like I, I have to ask myself this all the time. Is, is what God's doing in my life, am I allowing it to make a difference in others? As God pours into me, am I allowing God to pour into me enough that it'll overflow to be a blessing and a benefit to other people? Am I willing to serve God while I'm waiting and really by serving God, serving others? Am I willing to do that while I'm waiting? Because when we serve, when we serve, other people get blessed by God. 
that's how this thing works. When we serve, other people get blessed by God. If we're not serving, then guess what happens? We're just going, God, I want all your blessing and I don't care if anybody else gets any. That's not good. 